From Relay FM, this is The Pen Addict, episode 416, and today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Brad Dowdy. Hi, Brad Dowdy. Hi, Mr. Mike Hurley. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm very good indeed. How are you? I am very good indeed as well. We've got a lot of stuff going on today. It's a busy I week have... for me. Uh, got WWDC going on, but that doesn't mean that there isn't more than enough stuff to talk about on this show. Yeah, so it looks like your your WWDC events uh, content is going swimmingly. You're probably tired and exhausted from doing all the content, so I'm going to make you talk about pins for an hour and take your nice mind off break. of it. <laughs> well, most of it's going to be a nice break because this time I'm going to do a lot of the reading and let mm. you slide because... I think we have some of the most follow-up to any episode that we've had in, in quite some time. Like we, okay. we generally have some pretty good follow-up on, on all of our topics. And a lot of times we pose questions to our listeners, say, hey, we got this question, help us figure it out. And the question we had last week was, what's the best way to handwrite a note to your political representatives, right? So mm-hmm. it could be your, your national level type of representatives. It could be all the way down to your local representatives. And if you want to handwrite a letter to um, one of your representatives as a constituent, what's the best way to do that? And I got so many thoughtful emails that I'm going to read parts from all of these. I'm not going to read all of them. Um, I'm going to do something here while I'm while I'm talking, and, and I'm going to vamp a little bit. I have all these pasted in a single Ulysses file, and I'm just going to see the word count for this group of emails <laughs> is whoops is uh, 1,250 words. Okay. So. We're not gonna we're not gonna read the entirety of them, but I got I have some good stuff here. So the first one's from John, and this one is, and I'm gonna try to say what the, each of these are related to because each person had a different context. So this one is related in the U.S. to your big Washington D.C. political, um, you know, campaigns and representatives. So John says, I love the conversation about do's and don'ts about writing public officials. My personal observation from 20 years with a DC public policy group. So John's got some background here. Handwritten notes work great. Personally written typed letters and emails are good too. Anthrax events several years ago. I don't know if you recall this, Mike, but that used to be a thing. I sure do. Uh, I sure do. It forced most postal mail to public officials to be sent off-site and scanned. That's why I clarified that this is your big-level DC, right? Your local um, offices are not necessarily going to be doing this. But keep in mind, if you're writing a letter to someone in DC, your letter is probably getting sent off-site, scanned, and usually the representatives only see the scan. The original Mm. letters are then shredded and incinerated. So hmm. he's saying, therefore, make your letter short, one-sided, and use dark ink because it's going to get scanned and destroyed. So the end reader is not going to see your beautiful handwriting or your bright green ink. Um, he says, as you both hypothesized, avoid avoid you know those bright inks like orange, red, or green or anything too light to scan. Um, he says he would avoid black because it can look like a robo letter but it's probably fine. Dark blue would be perfect. Um, so, and he says, just from a reading perspective, with controversial issues, public offices historically gauge constituent views by creating one stack of letters in favor and one stack against. 
and this is done virtually these days and the stack which is largest usually gets the most attention so he's saying be clear up front with your issue because it's going to get sorted into the pros and cons stack or the for and against stack and the mm-hmm. stack which is the greatest will receive the most attention uh he says cursive or printing whichever is super easy to read and personalize it as much as possible so you know it's be sure to make it sound personal like it's coming from a person and not like a robo printed type of thing so that was most of john's uh right like not like a form letter yes so it's good like so it sounds to me like you know one side dark blue ink start off with i'm writing because of this serious issue and then at some point maybe say you know i appreciate what you did at x event right so you can have a little bit of person personalization into it as opposed to just robo type of letter stuff so so that was very cool so that was john's feedback this is Eric's feedback, and I really enjoyed this one because Eric has been a legis- legislative staffer. He said, and uh, he didn't say if this was at the D.C. level or, or at the state level or city level exactly, but he's saying, I've been in my legis- legislative offices of staff. Any handwritten piece went to the member's desk. One page, two page tops, stick with letter size or executive. I had one member that got a 20 page handwritten letter, but that guy is probably the only one I've worked for that would ever actually read it. Stick with white or cream paper, though cream kind of pops in the office since most paper is basic, your basic white copy paper. Um, I know you and Mike like colors, but stick with black, blue, or blue, black. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty much a given at this point. We're using I feel probably blue. In that. Yeah. I said blue oh, or yeah. black. Yeah. I think we totally agreed on yeah. that. I, I, yeah. And then obviously avoiding, you know, shimmers and smells and all that st- stuff. Um, and he would lean towards a document archival type of ink just in case the mail gets wet. Stylistically, um, this is from Eric, and this kind of goes with what John says. Keep the arguments tight. Don't meander. There's a lot going on in the office, so concise with little pith may help keep things fresh in the member staff memories. Um, if your handwriting is small, you know, make sure it's legible. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, most of the stuff we... we uh, I've already mentioned, he says, because of my profession, folks also often talk about con- contacting elected officials around me, and I always recommend a handwritten letter. I've deleted and shredded lots of form emails and letters. I've never not placed a handwritten item on the member's desk or in their read immediately stack. So that's a good point to take, right? Mm. Like the handwriting part really does stand out against the C, but you also have to take the handwriting part correctly. Hmm. All right, next one. And, oh, no, I forgot their name. They're going to kill me. I didn't copy it correctly. This one, Mike says, greetings from Washington. <laughs> so this was um, another one to to take into account writing like the big officials in D.C. If you're going to write handwrite a letter, you should be seeking to replicate a typed letter as much as possible. Organized, well-spaced, legible, professional language, concise task, text with a specific ask. Like, vote against this bill. Prioritize this issue. Dark, non-shading, non-shading inks are perfectly acceptable. So, this is the same type of idea. Um, 
you know, and they are also talking about how there's downsides of sending physical mail because they don't necessarily receive it. It'll usually get scanned, put into digital forms. So they made the point that the lower down the political ladder you get, the less sophisticated mail option operations are, and the more likely it is that your representative is dealing with mail manually. So keep writing to your state and local officials. So I appreciate that. And whoever sent that, I, I apologize. This one's got a link, Mike, that I did not put in the show notes yet, but I will because this one comes from a current submarine sailor in the United States Navy. I'm wondering if it's our friend that we met out in San Francisco. Mm. He's linked to the Department of Navy Correspondence Manual, which I will put into the show notes. It has some good tips that I've used in the past to write state reps, though it seems that the concern was to write the federal government. So this is... uh, a good form, I will add it into the show notes here momentarily. So look in our show notes for if you want to check this out. And last one on this topic, thank you for everyone who sent in this stuff. And I think we're kind of all working on the same page. This one is from Catherine. I just want to point out that Catherine says, and a lot of people said, thank you for another another fabulous podcast. You notice how I don't edit out those parts in these emails, Mike. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, we got to lift ourselves up sometimes. So she was glad to hear the question about writing to government officials. And let's see. She says, Emily Post is a great resource on how to address various public figures. The Corporation for National and Community Service has a handy PDF checklist for a traditional letter. Alternatively, the craftivist philosophy, which I hadn't heard before Catherine mentioned this, is to infuse a letter with care and personality in an effort to truly connect with the recipient. So everyone who has given us feedback is saying... You have to be personal, you have to be direct, and you have to be make your ask, and you have to do it quickly, right? These are short notes that you really need to be sending, not long diatribes. Um, yeah, oh, and th- this is a good point that she put in here. Regardless of stylistic choices, it's a good idea to share an image of your letter on social media to amplify the message and encourage others. So she sent me a link mm-hmm. where that she wrote to Mayor de Blasio in New York City, put it on, not only sent the handwritten letter, uh, took a picture of that handwritten letter, posted it on social media, and then tagged the office as well. So I thought that was a pretty neat idea. So what's your take on all these? I think we got I think we have a pretty solid grasp of what we need to do based on all this feedback, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that something that's worth really like paying attention to is the personalized part of mm-hmm. the letter cuz I don't know about you, but I see a lot of like take this and send it type mm-hmm. stuff where where people create um a template and you send that and I understand why that why people do that because it's like we can flood the office and like that will make a statement. But Mm -hmm. if you have the ability to actually write something from the heart, something individual, it may make a bigger impact um, Mm -hmm. because it may then mean that it has to be read where I would expect, as we've seen from what people are telling us, when you're sending in things that are of a template it's only going to be counted in a pile. It probably isn't actually going to be read by the person you've addressed it to. Exactly, exactly. So that's really, really good stuff. And I think some really good tips. And I really appreciate all of our listeners taking their time to send this feedback. And 
I want to continue into the next feedback topic, Mike, mm-hmm. which is the rose gold conversation we had on that Santini nib where we were curious about the um, composition of the gold yes. and how they were making it rose gold. As it turns out, Mike, what they were describing is the complete normal way to make rose gold. Oh. But it was, it was yeah, oh, it was written as such that I feel like we got marketed to, right? Like, we <laughs> they did tricked. a marketing thing. <laughs> yeah, they here's our super special th- description of this really cool thing, except it's the completely normal and acceptable way to do this. Oh. <laughs> so I feel like kind of embarrassed about that. So I got some feedback on that, but the exact same Catherine who I just wrote spent the time to write me a completely separate email saying, and she had a, she had a great joke here. This was ep- a email number two. It says episode 415 was a gold mine. Ha ha. <laughs> so she, she got to reply to both these things that she's experienced with. So she's a, she's a gemologist. So she knows about how all these materials work. And I think it's, here's the takeaway. Let's see. How do how should I, I put this. So she's saying um, for an 18 karat gold. Um, so it's 18 out of 24 carats, right? So 24 being the purest carats, 18 being 75% gold. So because gold is usually the most precious ingredient in the mix, the amount it comprises determines the alloy uh, fineness. So 75% is 750 parts per thousand. So when we see gold nibs stamped with 750 I'm sure you've probably come across that. Some, like Yovo, will stamp. They won't stamp 18 karat gold. They'll stamp 750, you know, whatever that logo is. Um, so what makes up the other 25%? This is Catherine uh, continuing. She basically says, dealer's choice. Different mixtures balance the benefits and weaknesses of the metal. Copper, nickel, and silver are frequently used in various proportions based on a metallurgist's priorities. Exact proportions are often trade secrets. However, I've worn an 18 karat gold rose gold ring for 10 years, and the ring hasn't oxidized, hasn't changed. You know, as with any kind of fine material, they can patina, right? So you can, you might see a little bit of that change in coloration, which is easily uh, wiped off or tarnished that you can just like rub off with a cloth or something like this. So, she was just basically saying, this is normal. And, you know, I got another ink from Le- from Eric, who, which I'll put in the show notes of the Wikipedia page of Rose Gold, saying that this is completely normal. So companies like Montblanc use this type of um, formulation to make Rose Gold. You know, Aurora uses this type of formulation to make Rose Gold and all of these things like that. So... That was just something that's a reason why I love this show because we're learning these things too, right? Like I didn't put it together in my head naturally that relating the gold quantity of 24 carats and taking the percentage out and mixing in the other material is completely the norm to make these like rose gold, for example. So you can make a true rose gold nib by these mixtures and there's no issue with that period like it's just been done forever throughout history and it was just something i didn't know so it's cool to have this type of feedback and honestly mike it makes me want to have like 
a real rose gold nib in my collection. I feel silly in regards to I, this whole thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Like, people were, like, super nice. Like, oh, you big dummy. They're like, no. Like, like the, hey, Brad, this is actually how rose gold is made. I'm like, oh. So I was looking at this Santini thing, and maybe there was just some translation issues. The way it was written that made it seem special, right? That made it seem different to me. Like, it didn't... Well, I think because typically people don't go into the detail of explaining the composition. So if people just say this is a rose gold nib and we're just like, oh, rose gold plated, end of story. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the level that they went to and explaining it all, and I think also copper being the other part, which seemed peculiar to us as well, um, kind of ended up leading us down the garden path a bit with this one. Right. So it's great we have listeners that are you know, willing to give us this feedback and say, hey, here's why this is a completely normal thing. So I thought it was great. And I appreciate everyone that uh, chimed in. And hey, we learned something. We learned something today, Mike, right? We sure did. I learned how to sharpen a pencil, Mike. Did you know that? Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I, I appreciate knew your day that. Will come. Oh, man, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> but no, I wanted to follow up on the Blackwing One Step Long Point Sharpener um, issue that I had when I did my review and we talked about it on the podcast last week and my review was from last week's review as, as well and about how bad of an experience I had with the sharpener and that Blackwing was going that Blackwing saw some QC issues with a certain batch of sharpeners and were going to send me a replacement so before I tell you how it performed I think it's safe to say you can assume how it performed. And I want to bring this up because our good friend Mike at Ink Dependence, one of his favorite soapboxes to stand on to um, explain the products that reviewers get is the, the false notion of that the reviewers get the best products, right? So, you know, that people who send us products to review are going to ensure that we get the best of the best. And on something like the Blackwing, where I've actually just gone through like a a retailer and, you know, who knows, like it's just going to get packaged and sent or whatever. They're not necessarily, they're just going to send the product just like any other order, right? So my original Blackwing was just ordered. My second Blackwing sharpener was hand tested before it was even sent to me. Of course it was. Of course it was. Because they would and be stupid be. to do it otherwise. I mean, it's like, look, I get this argument. It is perfectly valid that, like, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. But, mm-hmm. okay, so here's the thing with this, with that point. Mm-hmm. Blackwing believe that the product should work the way that they have given it to you, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. if it, your experience does not match that of a, review, a reviewer, then you know something's wrong of it and you can contact the company. Right. Right? If you just reviewed it the way that you reviewed it and then people bought it and they had a better experience than you, like, oh, I had no problem with it. I don't know what Brad's talking about. But mm-hmm. if they have a similar problem to the one that you did, they'll be like, oh, this is as expected. So that doesn't help anybody, right? Cause right. It, you know, right. It, but like if... You can provide a reviewer with like this is how we expect the product to be. Then people they've got like a yardstick to measure against of how right. it should be. Now the obviously the issue with this is if the company is disreputable, then they've done this 
in a way to make sure that they can trick people. So you've got, right. always got to remember that. But that comes from buying any product, right? Like mm-hmm. that you want, you need to have an element of, of faith in the company that you're buying it from. But but like that's kind of the point that I'm making of like right. it actually there is a benefit to everyone in provi- in making sure that reviewers get what is the intended experience of a product because then mm-hmm. that allows people to one make their uh, buying decision with all of the information given to them and two if they have a problem with the product when they receive it they n- can see that there is a comparison that they can that they can make yep yep so my second one works perfectly of course i, it does. I don't think that should come as a surprise it's yeah. The very first time I use it, it's a completely different experience. But this is positive so, to know because it means it that is. like this product is supposed to work and can. So now, you know, people that also have this and have the same issue that you did can be like, oh, I'm going to contact Blackwing or I'll contact the company I bought it from because clearly mine is defective. Right, because I was actually surprised at how many people reached out and saying that they had the same experience as me. But on the same token, like we mentioned last week, there were so many people reading this going, I don't know how you're getting that because I don't see that at all. Yeah. So the takeaway in all of this is that Blackwing is reputable and taking this seriously, right? So that's the takeaway. Even though I had a bad experience, I can only share the experience that I had. So now I'll go in and update that review with you know, more pictures saying, Hey, here's the difference in these two pens. And it's, it's glaring. I mean, pencils, it's glaring what the difference is, just the feel and the results of the pencil. So I'll go in say Blackwing made it right. And look, if you had a problem, you need to go back through your retailer and Blackwing is going to replace them, but they want to go through the retailer so they can try to track which group has this QC issue because, you know, they want to make great products. They want to make everyone satisfied. Mm -hmm. This is a premium sharpener product right it's twenty dollars it's not a cheap sharpener so it's in their best interest to to figure out what the the source of the problem is and i know that this is a good product now not you know the the experience that i had and blackwing is willing to just you know um, make note of it and accept it and try to fix it. And like, that's the best outcome you could hope for in a situation like this, in my opinion. So yeah, I, uh, new sharpener. Great. Someone asked me when I was doing this on stream, well, I want to buy this sharpener, but I've been holding off because I don't know if I'm going to get a bad one. Here's Mm -hmm. the one time I think I've ever said, (laughs) don't buy from my sponsors. Don't buy from my advertisers. Buy it directly from Blackwing. Mm. Because they have the ability to manage the inventory batches better than retailers. Because retailers, only they receive a package and then they sell the package. They don't know what range or what batch or anything. So they're just going to sell you the product. Blackwing should be able to do more on the front end to ensure you're getting the best product. And if you do have an issue, provided Blackwing's customer service is half decent, you'll probably get a faster response because... Yeah. The, the the retailer may have to contact Blackwing, wait for Blackwing to get back to them before they can get back to you. Um, there can be some some benefit there. But like the thing about all of this though is what these situations do highlight, which is important as well with a product like this, which we now know, which we wouldn't have before, this is a buyer beware product. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you would have gotten a perfect version, that wouldn't have been the case. Uh, right. But 
you know, so there is a there is a slight benefit there, but honestly, I for me personally, I think my original point stands that like just know that the the reviewer always has a handpicked product if 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 mm-hmm. they state that it has come from the company, and then yeah. keep that grain of salt in mind always, and then move on from there. Yep. So, and this this is also why we support companies like Blackwing who are willing to say, "Hey, it looks like we have a problem. Here's how we're going to fix it and move forward from there." So, I always appreciate that when I'm working with companies. I feel so bad for all of our listeners <laughs> because of what we've already said, or for what you're about to say. For what I'm about to say. Okay, good. Because I was thinking like. Wow, I, did I do that bad a job on yeah, all oh, of the setup until now? That whole segment sucked. Uh, I feel <laughs> terrible for people who haven't tuned in. No, I feel genuinely very sorry for our listeners because mm. they can't own what I own, which is this Jonathan Brooks customized Arushi Safari. This pen, it arrived a few days ago. I, words cannot describe <laughs> how incredible this pen truly is like it feels fantastic it feels like an arushi pen because that's what it is right but like that if you've ever held an arushi pen that's like it doesn't feel like plastic but it doesn't feel like metal it's it's got like a, a hardness to it but a softness at the same time like the, the the feeling of an Arushi lacquer on a pen is, is quite a special thing in the first place. In this shape, like in the Lamy Safari <laughs> shape, is like so weird in, in a beautiful way um, that makes it quite special. But this pen that I own, it's absolutely stupendous. Like every, every inch of it has got rotten, right? Like every centimeter of it, there's like abalone shell buried into this thing cut in these perfect discs so turning the pen in my hand creates this almost disco light show Uh, (laughs) and I cannot believe how much of a Lamy Safari it actually is like it is still a Lamy Safari like that's that hasn't changed nothing has changed about that right it looks like a Lamy Safari it has all of the uh, characteristics of a Lamy Safari. Oh, but also I have finials of pure run. <laughs> I love this pen. I love it so much. I can't even begin to understand how like the cap still fits. Um, <laughs> I don't know how Jonathan was able to do that to the point that like the mechanism is unchanged. It's still mm-hmm. it friction fits, right? Like. I I don't know how he did it. Like, I cannot understand how he did it. Honestly, the only place where I notice any difference is the threads are tight. Yeah. Um, Because there's a Rushi on, like, like in it, I assume. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know exactly why, but the threads on the pen are tight. But that is not a complaint. That's just a thing that is true. Uh, I adore it. I absolutely love this pen so much. I'm so happy. It's an absolute prized possession. I've decided that I need to somehow, like, I haven't spoken to Jonathan about this yet. I figured I would give him a break first. (laughs) Um, But uh, I would like a a matching stand for this pen. 
of, of some description. Um, now that so, would be a lot easier job than doing what he did. I have no doubt about business. that. But yeah, this this I I put my uh, left handed lamy nib on it. Oh, nice. Do you remember that? I bought it like yeah. a year ago in San Francisco. I'm still yep. getting used to it. I can tell it's definitely different, but I can't really tell you which in which ways it's different. But it is different. Right. I'm still getting used to the feeling. Like I have to be... It, it's comfortable to use, but I've found in some instances it, it like it skips on me a little bit. Um, sure. Because it, I mean, it's, it's, it's ground differently. So like I'm just trying to get my head around that. But it felt like I wanted to put something special on the pen. Uh, I'm using uh, Lamy Petrol. Oh, nice. That fits. And that's the color. I think that might... I mean, we were talking about this, right? That each of our colors fit one of the um, ink releases. And mine definitely fits Petrol. Yeah. So I put Dark Lilac in mine. Yeah. I'm excited for you. I'm glad this made it safe and sound. That's a uh, That's an uncomfortable shipment to make. When you oh, have to send a one of a kind product across the sea, when we're like in, having like shipping issues to begin with, it hit customs and had a small customs charge. Um, but really? I was yeah, just the the bare minimum one, yeah, which happens yeah. sometimes. But honestly, I was happy for that because mm-hmm. that meant it was going into like a different channel to regular mail mm-hmm. because it I was pay safe for at it. that point. Yeah, and because when you pay for customs here. You select a delivery date. Gotcha. Like, that's one of the things that they give you. So I was very pleased about that because it meant that I knew it was in the system and I knew when it was going to be delivered. Um, so I could keep an eye out that day, right? Like even more than right. normal. So I was very pleased for that. Um, it was like, I don't know, like 12 pounds or something, which is like the basic customs fee and handling fee. Uh, so yeah. I absolutely love this pen. I'm overjoyed. Uh, I, I messaged Jonathan about this, but like, this is a prized possession now, mm-hmm. like without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yep. I absolutely love it. It's just sublime. Yeah, see that pen? You're not going to be able to leave that one in the studio. No, it's not going to happen. No, there's a so couple. So you're going to have to rethink this that travel will stay situation. At home, that for sure. Mm. I don't you know. know. You're gonna want to use it. Like if you're at the studio all day, you're, mm-hmm. I can, you're gonna have a travel setup. I'm. I guarantee it. Mm, all right. Well, we'll see. But like, it's like mm. it's like of anything though. Like, all right. Well, I'll leave it at home. Why is my home more safe than the office? I know. I know. Nothing. You know. I agree. I have. I actually have a much better security system at the office. Like we have a uh, some like some of the security cameras here at home. Um, but at the office, I have like sensors and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, all the so, good stuff. Honestly, there is a there's more security there anyway, but Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. But you'll be love thinking it. about it while it's there and not with you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I haven't got to think about this for a while anyway, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> well, good. I I I mean, I knew you were gonna love it, so I'm glad it's finally there. Yay. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and then we have a slew of new product chat I want to hit up. All right, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea or project, and they give you all of the tools that you need to make it work perfectly. Whether you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, no matter what type of website it is, 
you'll have all the tools that you need. You'll be able to register a unique domain name with Squarespace directly, so your website will have the brand that you want it to. And it's going to look fantastic because they have beautiful templates which are easy to customize. They come with a bunch of presets and page stuff that you can uh, adopt, and they give you suggestions for the types of pages you might want on your site based on the template. But you also have complete flexibility to make as many amendments as you want to it, but building on top of something which is fantastically designed rather than needing to start from scratch. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that will let you build just about any website that you want for whatever reason. You know, maybe you have a society or or group that you uh, need a website for. You can build it with Squarespace. You can build a personal blog with Squarespace, business site. No matter what it is, they have everything that you're going to need. And their commerce platform will let you sell physical and digital goods as well, all built into Squarespace. They have so many different uh, elements of functionality. You will be able to get what you need from their wonderful platform. They also have award-winning 24-7 customer support as well to help in case you need any assistance. You can go try out Squarespace for yourself right now. Go to squarespace.com slash penaddict and you can sign up for a trial with no credit card required. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but if you use the offer code PENADDICT to check out, you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. That is squarespace.com slash PENADDICT and the code PENADDICT for 10% off your first purchase. So thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, our good friends, Michael, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Dan Provost and Mr. Tom Gerhardt from Studio Neat launched the Mark II yesterday yep. on Kickstarter. There is a new episode of Thoroughly Considered, which I just caught this morning. I'm about three quarters of the way through, so definitely go and give a listen. I love yep. hearing y'all talk about like when products happen. You know, mm. that's like my favorite. That's like, that's my jam. Like, I want to hear yeah, all the nuts and bolts. Mm. <laughs> I like being able to do those episodes of them when they when they have something new and I can ask them, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Like, I, I like, I mean, that's one of the reasons the, show's ex- the show exists anyway, because I like talking to the two of them about how they design their products. And for me, the, uh, my favorite episodes are when they have new campaigns. Um, yep. And as well, it's like, you know, I know a lot of this stuff, um, but I see the whole product development. Like, we talk about this on the show, but the Mark II has been in development for over two years. Um, it followed along from the Mark I very quickly um, and has since taken some interesting twists and turns in the way that the pen has ended up being. So it is a pocket pen, which, when extended, when you post the cap, uh, is as long as the Mark One, which is kind of incredible, and there's a lot of really smart engineering into what's made them get it to this point. Uh, it takes either the Fisher Space Pen or the Schmidt Eight uh, Schmidt Eight One Two Six, which is the Mini. But this, I was going to say, Mini. It's the one we love, but small. Now, <laughs> I had never heard of the Mini Eight uh, Eighty One Twenty Six until Tom told me about it. I didn't even know it existed. I've not seen it anywhere before. Um, so this allows for the same experience that you'll find in the Mark One and the Retro 51 and many more, but it will allow for smaller pens because it is a smaller version of the refill, which I'm super happy about because I hate the Fisher Space Pen refill. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm super pleased that this product takes that because it would have been a harder sell for me. Like my Apollo Mark One, I immediately threw the, the <laughs> Fisher Space Pen uh, refill out and put in a uh, Schmidt 8126. 
And so mm-hmm. I was really super excited when they told me that they'd found this refill. And it's like, they're a supplier, right? Like they work directly mm-hmm. with a the supplier. They even supply their own, right? Like, and I'm sure they'll be doing that for this pen too. Um, like you can buy refills directly from Studio Neat. And I think they, they're they branded Studio Neat, the same as Retro 51 brand them as well. Um, and so they were able, they were able to find out this product and they helped, and it really helped them kind of like finalize the, the plans for the pen. Uh, it's got a clip on it, which a lot of people really wanted in the Mark One, and uh, that's something that's on this pen, which makes I think a lot more sense for a pocket pen. And I think the product wouldn't have been a good without it. It's like an important thing for people that care about pocket pens. And the other thing is, this one is made fully of stainless steel, uh, which is different. Cerakoted on the cap, and then uh, either polished stainless steel or PVD coated um, uh, stainless steel. Uh, and it's a more expensive pen, starts at $85 or $105, depending on whether you go for the black and silver or the black and black model. It's great. I've had a prototype of this. We were trying to figure out before the show so how jealous. long I've had it. It's got to so be... So jealous of you. There you go. That's it right yeah, there. Thanks. Right there. Right there. Yeah, it's great. Um, some Since late last year, and Dan sent it to me and then once I received it we chatted a little bit about it and he kind of broke my brain on how they did the tapering on the barrel to where it sleeves in you know three quarters to seven eighths of the way when you have it closed but then when you go to post the cap it only sleeves in halfway and Dan would just giggle when I'm trying when I'm typing to him like because you can't visually see it in the barrel and they talk about this on thoroughly considered they talk about how microscopic that taper is you can't see it visually and like as someone who is involved in making things like you see things like that and i i would just stare at the pen and flip it over it's like is this is there something inside the cap that is stopping this how does the front end go further than the back but whatever they did it's like a little magic it's like a little magic trick that makes it work really well which is why you know why i like their products to begin with because they do such a good job um it's a great size it's cool looking it's well built i mean it's studio need what do you expect and mm-hmm. the refill the refill i'm with you guys i was not aware this refill existed um and i haven't gone any research to see if it's new or old i'm guessing it's old but just never used right so the funny thing about this refill so it's the 8126 mini next to it it says private reserve ink and i don't know what that means i i haven't seen i don't recall seeing that on other schmidt refills maybe i just haven't paid attention to it no i did but it's it was it was weird so um not that it means anything it writes just like the 8126 that we that we both love and expect so it's great feeling great looking i've backed it for the black pvd barrel me too so the black me the too. black on black um because this in case you're wondering this is very similar to the apollo mark one the black mm-hmm. pvd coating um and also it's also made of stainless steel the same as the apollo mark one so that was why, like, for me, this was easy. It was easy. I knew what color I wanted, and I knew I wanted it because the Apollo Mark One. the more I've used it, like, that has become an absolute favorite pen of mine because it's just wonderful to use, to hold. The weight of it is incredible. So it was, you know, this obviously isn't going to be the same. I expect it will be much lighter. Um, but I'm super, yeah, I'm super excited about this pen. 
yeah, I went into the campaign thinking it was just going to be like the black and stainless, which is great. I think it's an awesome look and I, I love pens like that. Then I scrolled down. I was like, oh, look at this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, the PVD coating. Yes, I know it's more expensive, but man, it's so good and it, it just matches the Apollo like that. And I, I just think it's really cool. So I'm excited to see how this progresses because I love what they did already with this model. And um, to see, like, I think this is a really, really early on prototype. Like, I wouldn't re- ever review something like this early on. This is like alpha or pre-alpha level prototype just to kind of get the concept down. And it was great then. So I know the, the final result's going to be equally as nice. Another product, Mike. I get all the sneak peeks, Mike. Mm. All the sneak peeks today. The analog um, productivity system from Ugmonk. So uh, Jeff Sheldon with Ugmonk, we've become friends over the past year or so, just talking about some, you know, different analog tools that he he makes through his company. And he wanted to send me a set of the analog cards that just launched on Kickstarter yesterday as well. So big day for for the Kickstarter um, in in our realm yesterday. And what this, I've, I'm of course very interested in any note card index card system and that's what this is so jeff built a note card system that will allow you to track your daily tasks your weekly monthly or future tasks and then your long-term tasks in one set of note cards so each pack i don't know the exact quantity in these but your your daily cards will last you there's probably like i don't know uh, 35, every pack that you get includes 35 today cards, 10 next cards, 5 someday cards. Okay, so there's 35 cards. Your today cards are essentially your daily cards, right? So they have spots for... They're they're lined with little circles for you to fill and complete your tasks. You, know, you can mark them complete and progress, delegated. You know, anything you want to do to work on those. And you can put a little date. You it has the I really like the little three circles in the corner. You can kind of denote different things like completion levels and and different things like that. So like I'm not a system person, right? So I don't really go for analog systems. I like my digital systems. Like if I'm gonna do tasks or to do's, I don't use a system. I'll use just like a general a basic note card or a basic notebook or an app. But I like what he did with the storage of this kit. <laughs> so the it comes with, or you can order separately a little note card holder and it'll hold like a full pack of these cards and it'll allow the primary card, say the today card that you're using to have a vertical orientation. And I think as someone who makes note cards and someone who believes in note cards, that the vertical orientation is way underused. And you will see me live that, like the way I use note cards. They're, I can't tell you the last time I've used a note card horizontally. So I just think they're built for vertical use. And Jeff has built this into the little stand for these cards. So I think it's pretty cool. Mm. The biggest question people will want to know from me is are these fountain pen friendly <laughs> which is jeff's and ugmunk's probably least important question and i have to say they're really good especially the today cards right the most common card you use the today card that has the most cards they they work great for fountain pens so i'm happy to say that 
the next cards are not as good for fountain pens. And I, I relayed this to Jeff in the feedback. They are fine for fountain pens, but they do feather a little bit more. The someday cards, which I thought were going to be very poor, which they're the craft color ones, they are excellent. Like, I really enjoy using the someday cards. Um, it would look it, the, the colors of the ink show up well. There's actually sheen on the inks, which means that the ink is not getting into the fibers of the paper. So overall quality, I'd say they're very good for fountain pen users. Um, you know, you might see some, a little bit of issues with wider, wetter nibs, but I think overall they're pretty good. And let's be clear, that's not Jeff's customer base, right? Is our fountain pen, um, our fountain pen fanatics, right? They're mostly mm. going to be using every other pen, but a fountain pen, which they all work. I'll put some photos. I sent Jeff all my ink tests, uh, pictures. So I'll, I'll share these pictures now that the product is launched. I'm allowed to share this stuff. So I'll put some pictures up on Instagram of just all my ink tests. And when I did this, so this was on, I put the date on this, this was three, nine, 2020. So <laughs> in early March is when I, I sent Jeff my, my tests of the paper quality. And, uh, yeah, overall, I think it's a cool product. So again, I've backed this mostly for the stand. I will probably, honestly, when they come in, I'll give away the card packs. Like we'll do giveaways because I'm not going to use the system like this. I am not a system person. Like I think that's just abundantly clear, but the idea of this is great for someone who would like to track their information these days. I just tend to do it um, in even a more simple manner than this. That works well for me. So there you go. I think this is very attractive, mm -hmm. but it's not, what I want to do with my tasks. I am a yeah. use pen and paper to review the day person more mm -hmm. than a use pen and paper to write down what I want to do in a day person. Um, I want my tasks in a digital tool because I don't yep. want to lose them or forget them and I want to be able to sort them and categorize them. And I get that a lot of people will use a digital tool with this and then they'll sit down in the morning and they'll write down what they want to do every day that just doesn't gel with me um like i don't even work from one desk right like i right. work at different desks different places in the home it will be the same way in the studio so i'll be picking up and taking this piece of card with me everywhere uh mm. it doesn't it doesn't gel with me also i again very beautiful i know why they did it i really don't like that the they have three different types of card Mm -hmm. um, I think they could have done something about potentially if they wanted to either doing design or coloring the cards differently, but using the same paper stock mm -hmm. to give a similar consistency in the way that pens work on the paper. I think honestly, let me let me interject. I when I talked to Jeff about it, it is supposed to be the same paper stock with different oh. finishes. So he was actually a little bit confused on why I was yeah. seeing what I was seeing. Well, finishes is the issue, isn't it? Yes. Like, you know, so you can have the same paper stock and finish them completely differently yeah, for the effect. Okay. Yes. Well, then, they, you know, like what what I would want to see is that they're colored differently. Yes. And so your, your it, point it holds. Of, yeah. Yeah. But it, okay. Because I just figured by looking at them from the way you described them that they were three different types of paper. That um, was my expectation too. Because I know, right, that you can get a brand of paper and not only does it come in different weights, it also comes in different finishes. Right. You know, like you can get like <laughs> Even and and again is another problem is you can get one type of paper two different colors and they work and they they operate differently they feel different yeah because of as, the chemicals 
as Mike and I know from people dealing with printers and paper stamp bills, the menu selection for a single sheet of paper is like the it's like the Cheesecake Factory menu. It's insane for a single sheet. Listen of paper. to this. <laughs> I don't know if you can understand, but that is a packet of like forty pieces of paper that mm. are all the technically the same paper, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, so it's it can be strange. <laughs> Yep. So anyway, I've backed this because I want to use the, the the little um the little box, even though it's not the total storage system that I want. It's not a, a large storage system, which is what I'll eventually want, which I just haven't bought for myself yet, like a, a card catalog type holder for the way I use my cards. I wanted that, and then I will probably just uh, pass on the uh, note cards because again, while the note cards are technically great, I just don't. I'm not going to use that system like you. I, I use my system differently. I'm not going to change my system to fit these cards because, like you said, it just wouldn't work for me. We have new field notes as well. Yeah, that kind of caught me by surprise. I'm kind of off the scheduling bandwagon. Like yeah. I don't totally. The timing in my head is not is not as synced up as it used to be. I guess because I'm not subscribing anymore. So what do you tell me? Tell me what we got here. So it's called the Heavy Duty Edition, and they are spiral bound uh, on the top, like uh, wire bound, um, like flip over. It's almost like a a kind of squat, like like a stockier reporter's notebook, um, mm-hmm. and it's effectively like a a work person's edition, and they're considered to be tough and rugged. They have one lined with a faint grid in the middle of the line which is interesting and then another which is just a grid um well, no, that's that's the front back of the page oh is it okay yeah I that's why that. you see the faint that's why you see i had to oh, double check right i thought there was i thought there was one of each but that's a front back to where you can see through that's an interesting way of doing it um mm-hmm. like i was initially quite turned off of these because i would only want 50 percent of it like of the notebook <laughs> per two pack because i don't want lined yeah. but doing like yeah. You know, I, that makes sense. Like, you know, fine. Like, I, I, I wouldn't in a in a book like this anyway. I wouldn't find myself writing on the back page very often because of the way mm-hmm. that you operate the book. This is the first field notes that I that and that that have been released since my subscription lapsed, and I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, these are. This is a great addition because I imagine it is a an addition that people really want. Um, and they've said it, like it's like a format that they've been thinking about for a long time. I think it's a clever... I love... You know, we've always said, I love it when they do new formats because it's it can be interesting and weird and cool in different ways, but it's just not really one that I want. Mm-hmm. It's just not a format that I need. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. It is, I imagine that it's going to be a pretty divisive issue, a release for them. But Mm -hmm. I think the thing that they nailed in this release is that they made it three and a half by five and a half, which is the standard size of their pocket notebooks, Mm. which the pictures don't show that. The pictures make them look full size steno book which they've released in the past which they stock normally Mm -hmm. or closer to your reporter style notebook that's not what this is and it's exactly what i want i want the small top bound notebook that's why knock made the top bound 
staple bound notebook. It's not wire bound. It's just staple bound. I like vertical orientation. I just said it with the index cards. <laughs> Give me things that I can use in that orientation. And that's what this is. I imagine the size is going to be a problem for people, but I think it's the exact size this product should be. Yeah, 25,000 packs, which is the mm-hmm. smallest edition since Byline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that I think makes they sense. know. I think they know that this is like it's different enough that it might not be for the faithful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But is going to attract different customers, which is always yeah. good. Um, so here, uh, and yeah, go ahead. I was just say there's only so much you can do with uh, the the standard uh, notebook size that they have. So I've always yeah. appreciated it when they've gone outside of the comfort zone. So I th- here's my. It's not a complaint. It's a. It's an idea. I don't think they went outside the comfort zone enough. I think if you're going to build this edition and mm. call it the heavy duty edition, it has to have UPO paper in it. This is tailor made <sighs> for UPO paper. As UPO much as people might hate so, it. it, that might be. I get what you're saying, but I feel like the UPO paper is is too much. <laughs> they obviously agree with you. But that's what this edition needs. It needs to be the nuclear strength post-it note that we see that's indestructible, right? If you're going to say, this is my heavy-duty notebook, don't give me destructible paper in it. I would have I loved to see it. And it would have been a nightmare for them. They would have gotten... People would have crushed them for it. I think it would have been the right decision <laughs> for this edition to to do a UPO paper um, for what they're what they're positioning this notebook as just a thought I had like I understand what you're saying because I ran down to the specs to see if it contained waterproof paper and it didn't it was just standard paper which is great I mean but I would my initial thought was oh cool this is gonna have some type of protected paper in it because of how they're positioning it and it's just it's regular paper so there you go that was just a just that was immediately what ran through my head when I saw this. One, yeah, I understand what, size what you're saying, is this? But, but I don't agree. I just think like yeah. there are many. There can be many interpretations of heavy duty. I don't think that I know. that it also needs to include an inferior paper for most use cases. Yeah, it's at least a seventy pound paper, um, which is thicker than the the sixty that they normally use. So this is a this is a me product. Like I I, I like this edition. Yeah. Are you going to get it? I don't know. I, I'm not using pocket-sized notebooks. I can't tell you the last time I've used a pocket-sized notebook. And that's essentially what this is, right? If I want this as a desk notebook, it's too small, mm. right? If I'm doing this, I'm using an A5 top-bound steno. So it, it it's essentially just a, a pocket notebook. Like I, The only reason I would get it is to get it, not to use it. So that's usually the decision right there that I don't get it. What about the Papier and Plume number 13 limited edition? This is going to be harder not to get. Okay. <laughs> so they they did the thing that Field Notes did years and years ago when they did the unexposed edition, right? Mm-hmm. That was at the height of Field Notes collectability and it was almost them mocking the collector saying, "We're going to send you a pack of notebooks, but you can't see what's inside and we're not going to tell you." And you know, until they get out, yeah. out in the wild and then everyone show, shares what it is. Papier Plume, I thought when they announced it that they would reveal it 
like at the end, but no, they're never revealing it. Like it's a mystery bottle. Now I've been sent, you can go through my Twitter feed and you can see people who have sent me messages and see what the color of it is. And I will say that it's, it's a color right up my alley. Um, but it's pretty cool. Like they're just not saying it and they're not putting it on their website. It's a black and white photo. So you can't see what the color is and that's it. Like they're just going to ship it to you and it shows up and then you enjoy the ink. So um, our good friend, David Parker, fig boot did a cool video. Did you have a chance to watch this by, by, by chance before the show? I've had no chance to do anything. Yeah. I've given you late, (laughs) I gave you late notice of it and you've been a little bit busy. It's, it's a really good job by David doing just like this old retro. Oh, this is beautiful. um, Like, yeah, it's like an old um, detective um, setup. Like he does the voice and everything about the, in, in black and white with like the, the film, you know, grain and all that stuff. So he did a super good job. So I just wanted to give him a shout out, put that link in the show notes for those of you who hadn't seen it. And you're not going to see the color reveal in there. He holds to Papier Plume's, mystery by filming the whole thing in black and white you never get to see the color the even biggest at the troll will be if it's just black ink god I, <laughs> like whilst i want people to be happy with their purchase there's nothing i want more than for like them to have just, just made a black ink oh man that would have been great and i say that knowing that i can say that wouldn't that have been great because it's not black but that's pretty funny oh my god brad i would love that so much (laughs) (laughs) i wish i would have thought of this and i could have just done it myself Uh, that's great uh well maybe we'll have to do a surprise ink one day and just make it black except we've we've spoiled it now spoiled it now yeah. But now if we do do it, people will think it's going to be black and it's like, no, uh, <laughs> make it white or something. So. I've already told them I'm, people I'm working on a blue-black ink. So to to work on a second ink when I don't even have the blue-black solved is like, that's years away. So that maybe they'll forget by then and we can do it. Uh, should we finish up today with a couple of TPA questions about ink colors? Yeah, let's do that. And we have a bunch more Ask TPA. We'll start picking them up next week. I got a bunch of new questions. Yes, asked for questions yesterday on Twitter. So we have all those saved and we will get to those soon. All right. The first one comes from BW Smitty who asks, what are some of your favorite blue black fountain pen inks? I mean, this is my jam, right? Like, I, it's got to be Palo de Roshizuku Shinkai. It right. has to be the top of the list. It has the most character of any blue-black ink. Blue-black inks, and people who've listened to this show have heard me say the same thing over and over and over again. They're, for something that seems so basic, they're really hard to get exactly right. And you can get too dark, you can get, you know, too gray, you can get too blue, you can get too black, like... And figuring out what you like in a blue-black ink is really hard. Like I say, Orochizuku Shinkai is my favorite. And then I can also say I like Sailor Blue-Black and Pilot Blue-Black. And those three colors are extremely different from each other, despite all being blue-black inks, right? So I, as someone who uses blue-black religiously... Those are three completely different inks. Like Sailor is dark and has some red sheen. Pilot's Blue Black is more blue than both of these. So there's just all these different ranges. So the Blue Black, I do have a list on the top five pins pages of my top five Blue Black recommendations. You'll find all three of those there. And I can't remember the other two (laughs) that I've put on that list, but they're probably there as well. Um, So yeah, if I'm going to go, if I know I want a very cool 
fun to use blue-black ink, it's going to be Shinkai pretty much every time. And we also have a question that came in from the inky side who asks, what are some of your favorite pink inks and some of your favorite green inks? In the pink column, I've only ever really tried Diamine Hope ink, which is bright but still quite readable. For greens, I have loved Brova Oster Jade, Diamine Sherwood Green, and Mont Blanc Irish Green. So Hope Pink is very, very bright. And I'd say pretty traditional pink, but extremely bright. I tend to lean towards the darker pinks or some of my favorites. So the the most recent one that I've fallen in love with is Sailor Manyo Akibi. And it's A-K-E-B-I. It's more magenta and rose colored than your traditional pink. Um you know, that's one of my favorites. Califolio Andronopal, of course, that, that Mike and I have talked about pick. a million times. Yeah, that's I even love it. Yeah, that's even darker than Akibi. So I don't know if these are too magenta than the traditional pink. And then one I've used recently, which I reviewed recently and I love, is the um, Tono and Limbs Fukuoka Fidelity. It's more of a strawberry watermelony, which leans towards red, but it's definitely kind of pink sherbety too i don't use just like the green question that i'm going to answer here in a second i don't use the i guess you would say the canonical version of pink or green right when you say pink it means a color but in fountain pens that range is enormous so like hope pink is not in my range of pinks that i use but i use colors adjacent to that on the darker side of the scale and you can go darker and lighter all in there so the, the tunnel green, and limbs one looks really nice yeah it's a cool it's a really unique color mm. um it leans more red than pink but it definitely has a lot of pink undertones and it's lighter and not as like saturated as something like the akibi or um the andronopal and Ackerman uh mauritius magenta is the is the same way all three of those are what I consider my pink inks, even though I understand that they're not very traditional pink inks, they're more magenta. Green's the same way. So like Montblanc Irish Green, Diamine Sherwood Green, those are straight up green. Like if you open up a dictionary and say green, that's the color you would expect. And I don't use that color in fountain pens. I like the bright greens mostly, um, which is one of your favorites, Mike, is the Ackerman number 28, Hofquartier yep. Groen. Yep. So it's, I like my greens with yellow in them. So that's different than the pink. Pinks, I lean darker. Greens, I lean lighter. So um, there's a green that's closer to traditional green, but it's still really bright and sharp that I've really enjoyed, which is uh, Graphon Faber-Castell Viper Green. It has those traditional green ink color qualities that you would think of, but it has a brightness without having a lot of yellow in it like uh, Ackerman number 28. And I think it's a really, really sharp looking green. So those are my two favorite green inks. And um, neither of them I would... Cons uh, the the Graphon Faber-Castell is close to a traditional, what you would think of a traditional green. The Ackermann is not anywhere near traditional green, but is one of the best inks on the market. Another of my favorite greens is, I mention it all the time, the Monteverde Sweet Life Key Lime Pie. That yes. green is wild. Right. It's like, so that's, almost like luminescent. Yeah, so that's on the yellow side yeah. of the ledger as well. Yeah. So it's really, really cool. 
All right, if you would like to send in a question for a future episode, you can just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskTPA, and it could be included into the future, or you can send an email to hello at penaddict.com. Penaddict.com is also where you'll find all of Brad's work. Uh, Brad and many others, many contributors to the Pen Addict, putting out great reviews all the time. You can also find Brad's products at knock.co. He's on Instagram, Pen Addict. He's uh, on Twitter at Dowdyism. And you can also find Brad streaming live on Twitch, Tuesdays, Thursdays, 10 a.m. Eastern. You're at home. What else have you got to do? Go watch Brad. <laughs> Unbox some pen stuff, do some shipping, have some chat. That'd be great. Uh, you can also find uh, information about this episode over at relay.fm slash penaddict slash 416. I am Mike I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Brad. Goodbye, Brad. <laughs> <laughs>